It's more than we are accustomed to going through on a Wednesday evening, but we are going to get through this. This evening, I mean, it's a one psalm with a common theme. We'll be able to make it through this and not going over verse by verse and hand, getting into more detail like we normally do with the 12 and 13 verse psalms, but we'll get through this. But what I'm going to do, rather than reading the entire psalm, I'm going to be uh, reading... Uh, verses 1 through 18, and uh, then we'll go ahead and get into the, the teaching tonight. Psalm 89, verse 1, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. A contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I've made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. Now, of course, those verses 3 and 4 were God himself speaking. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you've created them. Tabor and Hermon, rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. And Father, as we look at these verses and on through the rest of this psalm, we pray that, God, you would speak to our hearts, that you would pour out your Spirit upon this place, that you'd have your way, that you'd be praised, honored, and glorified, and, and, and Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would give us the understanding that we need, or that we would receive from him an anointing to uh, just have our, our, our spiritual eyes opened to be able to conceive of your truth. So God, we just thank you. We just love you. Have your way in our hearts now, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue here through the Psalms, we've come to Psalm 89 now. And, and, and this is a psalm that, that speaks about really claiming the promises of God in, in time of, of great affliction. But you'll see how this psalm begins. It, it begins with um, praise to God and, and, and just magnifying his name for his greatness, for his majesty, the reality of, of, of who he is and what he has done for us, uh, the, the reality of, of, his, of his person. And, and, and even as we move into verses uh, uh, 15 and forward, just the idea of just the blessing that we have belonging to him, the blessings that are ours because we are his. Uh, it's something that 
that, that is so important for us to, to see and understand who we are in Christ. But we, we move forward, and, and from there, which we didn't read yet, verses 19 and forward, but in those verses we do see the reality that, that God speaks in regard to his provision for his people of a king, uh, the way that he has blessed him, the way that he's anointed him, uh, the way that he's with him, uh, as he uses him to, to rule over his people. Uh, moves, he moves into the, the covenant that has been made by God for his people, uh, spoken of earlier uh, in, in the, the passage, as we saw in verse 3 and 4, uh, God speaking of that covenant. But he speaks of the covenant that appears to be broken because now at this point uh, in their history, um, they're, they're weak and they're being taken advantage of by other nations. Other nations are coming in and plundering them and so forth. And so the psalmist is kind of left, what's going on kind of a thing? Have you broken your covenant, right? And that, that's, that's what he's wondering in his heart. Moving on and just asking, how long is this going to last, Lord? How long is this going to hold up? And, and yet at the same time, there is... Uh, as we move through this, an emphasis on the faithfulness of God. You'll see that uh, on several different occasions and several different verses, we see uh, the, the word faithfulness uh, mentioned. And so what the writer is doing, uh, Ethan the Ezraite, as we see in the inscription there, uh, what he's doing is, as he's acknowledging God's greatness, he's acknowledging the covenant, it appears it's been broken, but I know that you're faithful. In your faithfulness, save us. In your faithfulness, pull us out of this affliction kind of thing. So that's, that's the direction that, that he's going with this. And, and even as we mention that, guys, I, I, I just want to encourage you to remember the faithfulness of God. You know, as we're looking at, at this, this psalm and, and those seven verses that speak of God's faithfulness. When we have an understanding of who God is, we understand that he is sovereign. We understand that he is always faithful. Always faithful. Then that's ground for encouragement for us. And I, and I pray that you guys are encouraged tonight going through this psalm together uh, because, you know, we all go through our issues, we go through our problems, we go through our, the, the afflictions, just the, the, the afflictions of living in this world, right? I mean, we go through it. Um, and we can be tempted in the weakness of our flesh to question God. We can wonder if, if he still loves us, if, we, if, if his promises are true. But quickly, let's quickly come back to the place of acknowledging the reality of who he is and his faithfulness. You know, anything he's ever said he will do, he will do, won't he? He's faithful. As, as he says in here, he, uh, verse 35, uh, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. And he doesn't lie to you or to me either. He's always true. So with those thoughts, let's go ahead and move on and, and look at this psalm. Uh, in the introduction, or in the inscription, I should say, uh, we, we see that it's a contemplation of Ethan the Ezraite. A contemplation is the Hebrew word mashil, which basically means instruction. This is for teaching. And that's, the, that's the point of writing this particular psalm uh, that Ethan has, Ethan the Ezraite. And, and who is he? Well, uh, his name is mentioned in a few places. One in particular in 1 Kings 4, verse 31. Uh, as um, this passage is speaking of Solomon, the king, it says, For he was wiser, speaking of Solomon, than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda. You remember Heman from the last psalm. He was the writer of that psalm. Uh, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. So this song, th this particular psalm there, or excuse me, that verse, 1 Kings 4.31, is written speaking of the wisdom of Solomon, but he compares that wisdom with the wisdom of Ethan and Haman and Shalko and Darda. These are men who were known for their wisdom. So, so Ezra, excuse me, uh, Ethan the Ezraite was a man who was known for his wisdom. 
Uh, but, but he also was, was one who uh, was, was a part of the, uh, as an Ezraite uh, of the tribe of Levi, and one who was uh, aiding in the worship and, and wrote this particular uh, worship song unto the Lord. In terms of the particular thing that was going on in Israel that, that caused him to do this, we can't really know for certain, other than the fact that it was one of those many times, really, that the, the nation w was being tested, the nation w w was being really, uh, from a spiritual perspective, from God's perspective, the nation was being chastised by him for their unfaithfulness to him. And the nation certainly moved in that area a number of different times. But even as, as um, Ethan the Ezraite is mentioned there in 1 Kings chapter 4, the context of Solomon becoming king and the first things that he did, which were wonderful, building the temple and all that he did, uh, being known for his wisdom, being faithful, the commitment that he made and so forth uh, to the Lord. But he... He began to drift away from the Lord, didn't he? He, he married uh, a number of, of wives, you know, the princesses in certain nations, you know, uh, as, as, a, as an alliance, forming an alliance with those nations, but marrying them nonetheless. And, and we're told that, that his heart was drawn away from the Lord by these women who were worshipers of false gods. And, and so he moved away. So if we were to look at chapter 11, we don't have time to do this tonight, but I would encourage you to take a look at that because 1 Kings 11 is the chapter where we see that beginning to happen and God beginning to bring chastisement to uh, the nation of Israel because of Solomon's own unfaithfulness to the Lord. And perhaps it was at, at that time that this was written by um, Ethan the Ezraite. Verses 1 through 4. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. So we see there in those first two verses. We'll just stop there for a second. We, we see that uh, Ethan, as he writes, he just... Uh, praising God for two things, for his mercy and for his faithfulness. Singing of the mercies of God, uh, making known to others with, with his voice, with his mouth, he says, with my mouth I'll make known, as he sings his faithfulness to all generations. And then he says, I've said mercy shall be built up forever. Just the idea of mercy continuing to increase, continuing to increase, and God being faithful, and in his faithfulness, establishing the very heavens, you know. Um, understanding the character and the nature of God. Again, so, so very, very important for us. Because if, if we're not remembering who he is, if we're not acknowledging the reality of his person and his qualities, his character, his character such as mercy, such as faithfulness, and, and grace and, and, and uh, being sovereign and all the things that we could say about who he is. You know, again, those are essential for us if we are going to be able to really cling to him and his truth in times of difficulty, in times of affliction. It's just so necessary for us to, to do that. And God speaks in verse four, three and four. God speaks of his own covenant that he had established with, with David. I've made a covenant with my chosen. He obviously had chosen David as, as his king after, of course, uh, uh, Saul, King Saul had first been established as the first king. Uh, I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. So here it's not just simply speaking of a covenant that he made with David, but the covenant, which speaks of the fact that God promised him that his throne would last forever, that, his, that, that, that he's going to establish his, his, his throne and his, his royal dynasty, if you will, 
to last forever. Not just for the, the lives of his son and grandsons and then their sons and going on. He doesn't say, speak of just, you know, seven generations, 12 generations, 100 generations. He says forever, which is a really heavy thing. And, and of course, we know what that means. It means, of course, that David, as, excuse me, Jesus, as the son of David, the seed of David, he is the, going to be the king forever and ever and ever. We understand that as we put the New Testament and the Old Testament together. We get that. But he had established David and his throne forever. And this is a big deal in the scriptures. I, I have several passages of scripture that I want to take you, uh, take you through as we go back to the very beginning and when this, when this uh, covenant first was made. If, you, if we go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, Beginning in verse 12, we see uh, the Lord God speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So God establishes this covenant there in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 1 Kings 9, after Solomon had built the, the temple, we see the Lord speaking to Solomon and saying, 1 Kings 9, 5, Then I will establish the throne of your kingdom for, for over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So God speaks to David about it. Solomon hears from God about it as well. Uh, Isaiah writes about it in Isaiah chapter, chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government, speaking of the Messiah, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with, with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Isaiah writes about it as a prophet of God. The angel Gabriel, when he came to Mary to tell her that he is going to give birth to the Son of God, in Luke 1.33 said, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In John chapter 19, when Jesus is crucified, verse 19 says, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So Jesus being king was, was all wrapped up in the, in, in, the, in the accusation against Jesus for which he was crucified. And this past Sunday, we were talking out of uh, uh, Acts chapter 17, when the Jews in Thessalonica were bringing accusation against Paul and Silas, Acts 17, 7 Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So all these passages that speak about a kingdom forever, Jesus being the king, as we see here in John 19, uh, Acts chapter 17, Revelation 17, 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And finally, in Revelation 19, verse 16, when Jesus comes back in victory, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, I, I go through this because we, we need to acknowledge what a big thing this is in the scriptures, that, that not only is Jesus king, but he's king forever, and he's of the seed of David, and, and, and he is the one that fulfills a promise to David by God that God will establish, establish a throne, his throne forever. 
that his seed would be on the throne forever. He would never lack uh, one uh, of, uh, of his sons on the throne. Jesus, the son of David. So it's so important to, to see the link with all this all throughout the scriptures, really. And so I, I just wanted to highlight that before we move, move forward. And, and, of course, the writer Ethan, as he writes this about what God had, was saying about that covenant and, and about establishing that covenant forever, or, or actually the uh, David's throne forever, he uses the word Selah. Now, stop. Let's pause and think about this. You know, I mean, how can a kingdom last forever? Well, no human kingdom can, but obviously the kingdom of God will. That's exactly what he's referring to. In verses 5 through um, 18, we, we, we see that Ethan, the writer here, is writing praises to God for his greatness and his majesty. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. I, I mentioned, by the way, the, the, the word faithfulness being mentioned um, seven different times in this psalm. We see it in verse 1, and then we see it in verse 2, then here in verse 5. Moving forward, we see it in verse 8. Your faithfulness also surrounds you. We see it in verse 24. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. God says of his ministry toward King David. Verse 33, we see it. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. God will never allow his faithfulness to fail. And then verse 37, it shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky, speaking of the throne <laughs> of Jesus. And so that word faithfulness continuing on. And then verse 6, uh, who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? Uh, so, so there's no comparison. Uh, he asks this question, who can be comparable to the Lord? Well, well no one, of course. Ver and and we, we see in, in verse uh, 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. I think that's a great verse for us today, isn't it? God shall be, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Right here tonight, we have an assembly of the saints, don't we? He is greatly to be feared among us. Greatly to be feared. It can be so easy to lose the fear of God if we take our focus off of him. If we go through a period of time where we stop reading his word, we stop worshiping him, we stop serving him, you know, a, a part of a backslide is losing the fear of God. It, it really is. You know, um, some very dreadful, horrible sins have, commit, have been committed by Christian people who somehow have lost the fear of God. And let us look at that and, and just kind of recommit ourselves to, to fear him. The, the second line says, and to be held in reverence by all those around him. You know, we, 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 we tend to fall short of that you know, to, to, to greatly fear him and to hold him in reverence. We, we tend to fall short. I, 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 think, I, I think a part of that is because here we're living in the year 2023 in Southern California, you know, 2,000 years removed from the time of Jesus, 7,000 miles removed from where he, where he walked on this earth. We read about it in the scriptures, and while we believe it, you know, um, honestly, I think this, that's one reason why it's such a great thing to be able to go to Israel, you know, and, and you walk the land, and you go to some of these places, and you open up the scriptures, and you see the place where these things happened, you know, 
Uh, you're, you're on the Temple Mount and so forth. I mean, it's just a tremendous thing to, to, to make everything so much more real to you, you know, just to see the places, to see the land. It, it, it's a valuable, valuable thing. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say that, that one tour of Israel is worth a year of seminary. You know, um, it's just, uh, you know, it's information and spiritual overload for, for nine or ten days, you know, but it's incredible. It's incredible. I think it's one of the reasons that, that we can tend to just kind of move away from uh, holding, a, 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 holding on to a high reverence of God. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, we, we know of the song, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus, right? And, and we can easily hear those words, sing those words, and begin to feel like Jesus is our pal. You know, he's our buddy. You know, we just pal around with him and stuff like that. And, and yet, he does call us his friends. He calls us. He calls us his friends. In John 15, 13, and 14, uh, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. Listen to this. It's conditional. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Of course, Jesus had said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments, right? This is how Jesus knows who his friends are. This is how he knows who loves him. And those are the ones that he laid down his life for. That's how his friends are identified. But the point is, we can take this idea of being Jesus' friends and relate to it in the same way that we, that we look at friends here in this world, you know? And that's just not the same thing. It's not the same thing. We've, we've got to be aware, we have to keep in mind how far down Jesus had to stoop, how low he had to go in order to become like us. How low he had to go. You know, how low can you go, right? He went so, I mean, he, that, that, that's such a stretch for him. Philippians 2, 7. Paul the Apostle, in writing of Jesus, said he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men made himself to be such that he would not have a reputation, a good reputation. Uh, we, we, we see in the uh, NASB version of that verse, translation, it says that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. The NIV in that verse, that translation says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So, you know, we, we, we've, got, we've got to keep that in mind. You know, it is a wonderful, marvelous thing. In fact, it is a, it's a crazy idea that the God of all creation would desire to be our friend. But he does. And he is. He proved it out of his love for us by going to that cross and bearing our sins. And Jesus calls us his friends. That he's still God and we're not. He has all of God's attributes and we don't. You know, I mean, we, we just have to keep that in mind. And, and we have to consider an incredible, incredible privilege that Jesus would speak of us that way, calling us his friends. I mean, that just, that when we, when we have an understanding of who God is, we have the understanding of who we are, you know, and, we, and we think that, you know, God, the, the, the creator of the universe, creator of all things, one who is completely holy and, and, 
and righteous, he desires to dwell inside of me, inside of you. It's like, that, that's crazy. That's, that, that, you know, our, our, if you try to put that, input that into a computer and it would spit it out. Does not compute, does not compute, right? You know, I mean, th th that's the kind of thing. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. But God in his love for us has done that. And so, well, indeed, what a friend we have in Jesus. But let's not allow, let's not allow ourselves to take that to a place other than the incredible, holy, righteous God stoops so low to become like us so he can save us from our sins. He's that kind of a friend. Well, moving forward. O Lord God of hosts, we're saying, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you again, faithfulness, as we pointed out already. Now we see here in, in these particular verses, verses 9 through 12, uh, his authority as creator over all of nature being, being spoken about and praising God for that. Uh, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You've broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth, the earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. God is, has authority over all creation. And, and that's basically what the psalmist is laying out here. He's laying out his greatness and his majesty as he writes those four verses, verses 9 through 12. 13, you have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. And now some, some of his uh, uh, attributes, the righteousness and justice, are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. What an incredible verse. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Our king rules with righteousness and truth. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Righteousness and truth. And that, that should give us a great deal of comfort. Our God, our King, rules with righteousness and truth. Always righteous, always true. He never does anything that is apart from what is righteous. Never does anything that's apart from what is truth. Never does anything that's apart from anything that he is. I mean, we can talk about his mercy and his grace, his loving kindness, his, his, uh, his knowledge, his wisdom, his power. You know, all that he is, it always is a part of everything that he does. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say, well, you know, oh, yeah, yesterday I, I was kind of rough on them, you know, I, I, I judged them pretty harshly. I'll be kind to them today. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't do that. That's just, I mean, he, he's just always all those things. So his goodness and kindness is in action even in what we might see as the harshest of judgment. It always, all, all of who he is, it always is, is active in all that he does. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's continue reading. Verses 15 to 18. We see in those verses, the writer highlighting the blessings of belonging to God. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. And so he writes as a member, as, as a citizen of, of Israel, and as he, he closes there, speaking of uh, the, the king that, that he's given to them. Um, but just the blessedness of, of knowing God, knowing the joyful sound. What joyful sound might he be referring to? The sound of worship. 
the sound of praises. You know, the sound of praises rising up, you know, uh, within, within, within the temple. It's, it's likely that the temple was already built. You know, if this is what, as this is uh, uh, Ethan the Ezraite, if it's the person we believe it is, he would have been a part of that. You know, uh, but the, the, the sound of worship, you know, it's a beautiful thing, you know. Um, worship is something that, you know, we cannot do without. And it's more than singing, but it definitely includes singing. You know, I, I don't think any of us should ever, you know, when we gather together to worship the Lord, to hold down our voices because we, we're thinking that, well, worship is more than this. And, you know, I don't really, you know, want people to hear me sing, but, you know, I'll be worshiping him all day long tomorrow with the things that I do. You know, I mean, worship is certainly a 24-7 thing. Just the way we live our lives is worship to the Lord. It should be that. But, the, but singing songs of worship and the sound of worship, the, the, the sound of, of, of beautiful voices, you know, um, uh, going up in worship, you know, and the sound of a congregation as, 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 as we sing unto the Lord, and that, that's a beautiful thing, and how, how wonderful it is to the ears of God himself. And, and, and we enjoy that, you know, when we have uh, time set aside for worship, a night of worship or something like that. And, you know, one of the things I think about is, is how, like, at a, at a men's event or men's retreat, how the men seem so free to worship and they're singing loud. Sounds great. I love to hear men worshiping God. You know, get them back here on a Sunday morning and it's like, you know, just kind of hold it down. Uh, maybe they don't want, don't want their wives to know they can sing, I guess, or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. But anyway, you know, we, we just don't sing like we do at a retreat. How about you ladies? I mean, it's the same way with you ladies. Is it the same? I mean, you'll sing, you'll sing more here than the men do. But I'm sure you, you, it's, it's, it's beautiful at the, at the retreats as well. But blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They're familiar with that joyful sound. Walking in the light of your countenance. The, the light of God's eyes upon us. You know, rejoicing in his name. Uh, in his righteousness being exalted. And, and look at this. God himself, as, as he's writing this, God being the glory of our strength. And in his favor, in God's favor, our horn is exalted. The, the, the horn speaks about strength. It's a symbol of strength. So our strength is exalted in his strength. You know, as, as Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 6, he's talking about the armor of God. He says, be, be strong uh, in, in the Lord. We, we can only be strong in him, and so we need to rely on that. The shield, our protection, belongs to the Lord. So he, he's all over that with us. So let, let, let's remember that all that we have, and really this is what he's doing. He, he's, ex, he's, he's acknowledging that everything we have that is good is from you is of you. That, that, that's basically what he's saying there in those verses. And we are so blessed to be a part of that. So blessed to be a part of your family. So blessed to be a part of your kingdom. So blessed to be a follower of yours. Do you guys, is that where you guys are at? I mean, you're, you're blessed to be a follower of Jesus. Blessed to be a child of God. Blessed to be a member of the church. You know, I mean, we, we, we truly are. Let's, not, let's never, ever forget that. Now, verse 19, moving forward. We'll, we'll, we'll look at verses 19 to 27. Then you spoke in a vision to your holy one. That, that's really plural. Some translations have holy ones. Uh, and that, that, that's really the better translation because it is a plural word. And said, I've given help to one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from the people, here he's speaking about finding David, making him king. Verse 20, I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him. Now, let's think about that just for a second. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. You remember who it was who went to Jesse's home and found David and anointed him with oil? It was Samuel. You know, the, the, the prophet slash judge. Uh, slash priest uh, 
Samuel. And God says, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. So, obviously, we, we see it recognized that Samuel was sent by God to do God's work in doing this. You know, it's, a, it's just a cool thing the way that that's worded. Um, verse 21, with, my, uh, with whom my hand shall be established, also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But by my faithfulness, or but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Here the psalmist basically praises God for providing his people a faithful king. In verse 24, my, fa my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. God is with him. And that really is the thing that all of us want and anyone who's leading us spiritually is to know that God is with that person. Whatever level of, of leadership that we might have, you know, a, a, a father and husband in the home, the, the mom in the home, uh, in the workplace, if you have a, a position of you're working as a Christian, but you have uh, uh, authority over other people, the, the, the same thing within the church, church leaders, uh, within the nation. How, how wonderful it would be if we had an understanding that all of our leaders in our nation would be described like David is here. God committing himself to be with them. I mean, to, to have a president, to have a governor where God is saying of that person, my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. He will say, he will cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. I mean, what a blessing for the people of Israel to have a man like David as their king. Now, David wasn't perfect. He was a man after God's own heart. These things are true. What, da what, what the writer here is speaking about, what, what the, really the level of commitment that God made to Israel in giving them a king whom he would be ministering to in this way. As he says, you know, uh, my, <laughs> my faithfulness and my mercy will be with him. All these, all these things. And all these things he's going to do. He's not going to let uh, his foes... He's going to beat down his foes before his face. You know, he's going to plague those who hate him. He's going to be established by God. You know, and what a, what a blessing. What a blessing. There have been times in, in our own past as a nation where perhaps we could say something like this of, of a president. Uh, certainly not now. I haven't been able to for a while. Uh, a governor. Certainly not now. But you know... Um, all of them are reason for us to pray for them. As we're commanded to in, in, by, uh, through the, the writings of Paul to Timothy, to be praying for those who are in authority over us. But this is the blessing that God gave to Israel. I want to make a comment about um, God saying that in verse 27... Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth. Uh, we, we, we see that word firstborn in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We're speaking about Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote, he is, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, obviously there, the word firstborn does not mean that Jesus was born. I mean, as a man he was. But he is without beginning, right? Uh, he was never created. Uh, he was placed 
uh, uh, he, was, he was given a human body, that he was all God and all man. We understand that, 100% of each. But the point being that when Jesus is referred to as the firstborn over all creation, it speaks about the fact that he was given preeminence over all creation. Preeminence. And so here, when it's God, God says that he, he makes David his firstborn, he then says, the highest of the kings of the earth, obviously speaking about having preeminence over all of the kings in the earth at that time, over all the other nations. And that's what he's talking about here. So this is the work that he did with David. And in verse 28, let's read verse 28 through 37. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. It's what I was referring to earlier about you know, that, that point in uh, 1 Kings 11 with Solomon. These things were the kind of things that were going on. Nevertheless, God says, my loving kindness... I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, and it shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. That's powerful. That's powerful. And here he, the, the, the writer is, is, is writing about how God establishes David's kingdom forever, beginning with this idea of the mercy, mercy and the covenant, verse 28. Um, his seed I'll make to endure forever, his throne is the days of heaven. So there he begins to speak about it once again, even as referred to it earlier in uh, verse 4. Referring to that uh, forever kingdom that he is establishing for David. And, and there in verses 30 to 32, we see the consequences uh, for any in David's lineage who would be king, who would be disobedient to the Lord, who would stray from his ways, whether it was Solomon or anyone else. And we see in reading the Old Testament, reading the, the, the historical books, that, that that's exactly what happened. But he promises, though. He promises in, God, in verse 33, I will not utterly take my loving kindness from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. Um, and in verse 35, he says, I have sworn by my holiness. Well, even before that, uh, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Uh, let's pause there just for a moment. I will not alter my word that has gone out from my lips. Now, this precious book that we're holding in our hands or on our laps right now or maybe on our devices, um, this is the word of God. And from the time he first spoke it, from the time it, has, it was first written for our reading, you know, he's not going to change it. His word of God will, or his word will not change. His promises, his covenants, he will not break. He won't. And whatever he said... He stands by it. He will never change it. He never will. We'll never hear God say, you know, when I said that, I, I just wasn't aware of how things would turn out. So, yeah, I, I think we ought to kind of uh, rephrase that a little bit. No. No. You know, I mean, that's the answer to those who would, who would argue against following God's word because it's such an archaic book. 
But really, to me, there, there, there's comfort in it being an archaic book. It, it, it's, there, there's comfort in the idea that there was a place that, that, that this was given. However many thousands of years ago it was, God spoke and his word is still true because he has not changed. His word will not change. The world does. People do. Cultures do. But not him. Again, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ will uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, God does not change. And he says in verse 35, once I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. I've sworn by my holiness. C.H. Spurgeon wrote this in regard to this, this uh, uh, phrase. He says, God here pledges the crown of his kingdom, the excellent beauty of his person, the essence of his nature. He does as good as say that if he ceases to be true to his covenant, he will have forfeited his holy character. What more can he say? In what stronger language can he express his unalterable adherence to the truth of his promise? That's powerful, isn't it? I have sworn by my holiness. You can't get more powerful than that. And then he says, I will not lie to David. F.B. Meyer wrote this, Never forget that when once God has entered into covenant with a soul, he will stand to it till the heavens be no more. And then the writer writes, Selah. Those are some powerful truths right there, guys. And, and truths that we must cling to. And truths that because they are true, even though the world may not want to acknowledge them, we do, don't we? We acknowledge them as truth. And when we follow them, when we apply them to our lives, when we own them uh, as, as our own, we receive God's promises and, and, and we, 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 we rely on him keeping those promises. He's not going to break them. I mean, we, we see the truth spoken here by him. We, we, we see the reality of his faithfulness through all generations, his faithfulness to Israel, the, the faithfulness to to, to be with a king, King David, his faithfulness to bring a Messiah, to bring a Savior, his faithfulness to fulfill over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament in Jesus Christ, being our Savior, the one who died for our sins, that we, that we can cling to and, and, and uh, allow him to be our Savior, to cling to him as our Savior. You know, it's just such, a, it's such important truths that we see here and it really is, these are the kind of things that we rely on to get us through life. You know, when we, when we go through our difficulties, relying on the truth of God's word, relying on his faithfulness, re relying on his promises, you know, um, looking to the future. You know, I, I've shared with you guys a number of times, you know, the last, the last couple years for me, the, the, the afflictions that uh, my, my wife and I are going through right now, you know, it's like, I, I I'm looking, I have, a, I have a, 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 a greater longing for heaven and, and looking at that promise more and more and more. You know, and, and I, think, I think that's common when we get older. And I think it's certainly common when we lose a loved one. And I think especially a spouse. There are a few people in this room who could tell you about that. You know, and... You know, I mean, quite frankly, I'm in the process of losing mine. You know, I mean, in, in a sense, because of what's going on with her, it's like, I've lost her. You know, I, 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 I don't have a relationship with her like I do, like I used to. I'm just simply caring for her out of her need and having others care for her as well. But the, the point being, you know, that relationship has, has, has really ended the nature of a real marriage relationship but there she is and I'm loving on her but the point is though that when we get to these, this, this kind of place in life 
you know, seeing the reality of what God has in store for us in the future, you know, it's, it's like it becomes all the more powerful, all the more powerful, you know, the hope that he brings to us, you know, and uh, as I've shared with you before, I mean, I, I, I do, I, I have a vision in my, in my mind of my honey and I standing together hand in hand in our glorified bodies, you know, uh, worshiping the Lord uh, in, in the future. You know, one thing I know for certain, and we all learn this, we know the truth of it in Scripture. You know, um, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that, you know, uh, in everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. You know, and then he has a list of things. One of those verses says a time to be born and a time to die. We go through our seasons, but it's just a season, you know, and it will pass, you know, and the season of loneliness will pass. The season of pain will pass. The, the, the season of betrayal will pass. Whatever it may be, whatever it may be, it, they, they pass because every, everything in this world is temporary, but it's the word of God that lasts forever. Heaven is our eternal home. So th those are things for us always to hang on to. As we look at these verses 35 and then 36 and 37, of course, the, the idea of him really uh, um, once again, repeating and, and, and just kind of hammering on this issue of the enduring kingdom of David, the enduring dynasty of David, as seen through the reality of the Messiah who would give his life as a ransom for many, but he would rise from the dead and live forevermore as our king. It's powerful, powerful stuff. 38 to 52, let's go ahead and finish. But you have cast off and abhorred. You've been furious with your anointed. You've renounced the covenant of your servant. So now we see the writer just kind of complaining about what's going on right now and how can those things be true if this is happening now to us. Uh, you have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. You have taken, or you have broken down all his hedges. You've brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass by the way plunder him. He is a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You've made all his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back the edge of his sword and have not sustained him in the battle. You've made his glory cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth you have shortened. You have covered him with shame. Selah. We'll, we'll just stop there. Uh, in, in those verses, we, we see him basically, like I said, complaining about what's going on right now. He, he's writing about the situation now and how it appears that even though God has promised that the, 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 the throne of David would, would, would last forever, this particular king, perhaps it's Solomon, perhaps it's one other of, of, of the kings. I mean, one thing for sure we could say that that whoever wrote this, I mean, it could have been somebody from, you know, many different uh, uh, times through the history of Israel and Judah when there was an unfaithful king, you know, and God chastising the nation, you know, by maybe bringing raiders from another uh, uh, kingdom, whether the Midianites or the Canaanites or whomever it might have been, uh, Philistia, whatever it might have been, you know, to, to, to ransack them and take, take, uh, uh, some, uh, take their stuff home and stuff. It, it just, it could have been at any time, but he's basically talking about what God had done here. And, and then he begins to ask the questions in verse 46. How long, Lord, will you hide your face forever? Will, you, will your wrath burn like fire? 
Just the word wrath, anger, the idea of wrath, of course, is God's anger towards sin. And so, I mean, th there seems to be wrapped up in that perhaps an admission of guilt somehow. Remember how short my time is. For what futility have you created all the children of men? I'd, I'd like to live long enough to see this change. Remember, I'm getting old here. I don't have that much longer to live. You know, and, and just the whole idea that the life of mankind, li the life of a human person is like a breath. You know, it just, uh, it's here one day and, and like the, the field of the grass, it blows away and it's gone. You know, it's like, that's what our lives are like. You know, when we look at it on an eternal timeline, for sure, it, that's what it looks like. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Selah. Well, it's kind of a redundant question, and the answer to that is, of course not. But there is one who can, right? What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of death? Well, Jesus can. In fact, Jesus did. Jesus absolutely did. I want to close, you know... I, I'm, I want to go ahead and read uh, verses 48 to 52, or 49 to 52 real quick. And I, I want to close by reading one particular passage. Uh, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. And, and so, so, so the pain of seeing the reproach, you know, it's, it's not unlike uh, um, Nehemiah. We see in the first uh, chapter of Nehemiah, uh, him as the uh, uh, cupbearer of, of, the, of the king and all. And he receives the news about what's going on in Israel, about the, the, the walls are torn down, the gates are broken, and they become a, a reproach to everybody who walks by, you know. And that just, that just touches Nehemiah's heart. And so we know what happened with him. But it's that kind of a thing. And, and, and that, of course, was a result, the final result of, of what uh, the, the nation of Judah had done in terms of, of being unfaithful to their God, and God placed them in, in, in uh, captivity to uh, the Babylonians. And then by the time uh, uh, Nehemiah comes, a, a different nation. So it's it just, this is what we see there. But finally, verse 52 the close of the, ver of the, of the uh, psalm. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Forevermore, amen and amen. And that's, a, that's the classic close of the various books. This is the third book of, of, of the psalms. Uh, the first book closed in Psalm 41.13 with these words, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Very similar. Going back to that question, can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? And of course, again, no, but Jesus can, and Jesus did. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 57, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That means we shall, we shall not all die but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God has defeated all these things. There is no victory for Hades, there is no sting of death. 
That's why we as people of faith, when we lose a loved one, yeah, I mean, there's sorrow. Oh, there's sorrow. But it's not a hopeless sorrow. It's sorrow with hope. The sting of death is gone because Jesus gives us the victory. And right now we're going to take some time to thank him for that. We're going to celebrate communion. So if the ushers could come in and pass out the uh, communion elements. Um, ladies, could you come on up and prepare to, to lead us in a worship song? Uh, the ladies are going to see, lead us in a song uh, for uh, communion, for us to sing as we uh, consider what the Lord has done. After we sing, I'm going to read out of... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, then we're going to go ahead and partake together.